0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee.
1: And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's March 25th.
0: Yesterday marked exactly one month since Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine. Over the last several weeks, our experts have been drawing on a vast body of relevant RAND research, providing insights on important issues related to Russia's military, Ukraine's resistance, how the West can hold Putin accountable while preventing a wider conflict, the many political, diplomatic, and humanitarian implications of the crisis, and more. You can explore all of our resources on the war at www.rand.org slash Russia Ukraine But in this episode of Policy Currents, we'll provide just a sample of what RAND researchers have had to say in recent days.
1: Since the war began, there have been reports of Russian soldiers deserting, convoys stalling, and tanks running out of fuel. Needless to say, so far the invasion has not gone as Moscow expected. Marek Posard and Kristina Holinska write that these apparent failures within the Russian military may be evidence of underlying problems in Moscow's efforts to professionalize its force structure. Reports from the Russian military and their scholars, in fact, have even released research that supports this conclusion. Because of these issues, Posard and Holinska conclude that Even if Russia manages to take control of the territory of Ukraine, it may still be difficult for Moscow to maintain control over the country for the long term, counter potential resistance movements, and presumably rebuild the country to allow for an eventual withdrawal.
0: Whatever Russia's military shortcomings, it's important for Ukraine to take steps now that can deny Russia the political consolidation it seeks and preserve Ukrainian sovereignty. This means ensuring the continuity of Ukraine's democratically elected government. Marta Keppe and Annika Binnendijk, who have studied resistance and resilience in the Baltics, recommend not only safeguarding the physical security of Ukraine's existing leadership, but also ensuring that there's a clear line of presidential succession beyond top government officials. This line of succession should be made publicly known as part of the broader resistance strategy they say. Making a public statement about the plan of succession could deny Russia the ability to mount a convincing information campaign suggesting that its military actions in Ukraine are aimed at removing an illegitimate or undemocratic government. It could also help to ensure that Ukrainian, rather than Russian chosen leaders, gain rapid acceptance from the Ukrainian citizenry and from the global audience should a full occupation scenario unfold.
1: William Courtney explores the consequences of potential changes in Russia's government. After all, he says, historically speaking, abrupt political changes in the former Soviet Union and Russia are not uncommon. So, how could Western leaders begin to prepare to engage a new government that emerges as a result of regime change in Moscow? If regime change did come, he says, the West could reduce security risks by engaging new leaders to foster more open and legitimate governance, such as through free and fair elections and anti-corruption measures. This same strategy helped the West in the Yeltsin and early Putin eras. And although the West can benefit from past experiences in addressing some challenges associated with Russian regime change, it may need to develop new policies and criteria for easing the extraordinary sanctions that have been implemented during the war. For example, the West may require that Russia halt military operations in Ukraine and withdraw all forces. Or it may insist that Russia fully respect Ukraine's sovereignty, independence, and territorial integrity. Whatever a new Russian government might bring, Courtney notes the possibility of, quote, unprecedented choices that could be thrust upon Western leaders.
0: As the Ukrainian refugee crisis continues to swell, Krishna Kumar has distilled lessons for host countries from Rand's body of research on recent refugee flows during the Syrian civil war. This research showed the benefits of enabling refugees to work. Not only does employment help improve the livelihoods of people who have been displaced, it can also help host countries address labor market challenges. But to achieve such benefits in a country like Poland, for example, which has accepted more than 2 million Ukrainian refugees, challenges will have to be overcome. These include matching refugees to available jobs based on geography and on their skills, breaking down language barriers, and addressing the unique needs of women and people over 60 who are looking for work. Host countries that accept refugees are to be commended for their humanitarian response, and for the public good they provide to the global community, Kumar says. But to increase the likelihood that these host countries find effective policy solutions, they should view the influx of refugees not merely as a humanitarian challenge to be addressed, but as a significant economic opportunity to be seized.
1: In the wake of Russia's attack, Michael Johnson has identified seven long-standing assumptions that NATO should drop. For example, the alliance can now jettison the idea that a major war in Europe or Asia will never happen because of economic interdependence. According to Johnson, this assumption seems to be confirmation bias— namely believing that dictators would make similar calculations about costs and benefits as democratically elected leaders. But dictators have a surprising risk tolerance and may prioritize strategic gains over economic effects, he says. The West should also abandon the notion that Russia will never attack NATO because of the alliance's mutual defense clause. As long as Russian leaders fear democratic values, define conflicting interests, reject the status quo and the current rules-based world order, and have the capability to wage war, it seems dangerous to assume a war will never happen, and as a result, leave the eastern flank exposed. And it's time to let go of the assumption that NATO can deter Russia with air power, and that stationing ground forces in eastern Europe is unnecessary. Johnson says that it's unrealistic to assume that the Baltic states could defeat Russian aggression on the ground while NATO enjoys relative safety with standoff attacks in the air.
0: Leaders in Washington are edging closer to what may be the most fateful choice of modern U.S. history. Whether to take bolder and more aggressive action to defend a beleaguered people against the world's other major nuclear power. According to Michael Mazar, When considering this decision, the U.S. should be wary of imperative-driven judgment—that is, taking action based on an overwhelming sense of what a country must do, rather than a rigorous assessment of which course of action would best advance its interests and goals. History is rife with examples of foreign policy catastrophes that resulted from imperative-driven judgment. The example with perhaps the most ominous implications for the current crisis comes from 1941. Japanese leaders were committed to an invasion of China that cannot be abandoned, were being threatened by U.S. sanctions, and believed that Japan could be humiliated and reduced to a third-rate power if they conceded. Seeing no alternative to attacking the U.S., Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, drawing America into World War II. Today, as Russia's onslaught in Ukraine continues and the already appalling humanitarian toll grows, it's understandable, Mazar says, that calls for bolder action from the U.S. and its allies will become more intense. But global peace is at stake in the wider war that could spread from Ukraine. That's why it's essential for the U.S. to, quote, ask the right questions before rather than after taking large-scale action to check its sense of duty and moralistic commitment, and to be sure it finds its way to wise action, rather than a road to disaster.
1: To read more about the topics that we covered today, get RAND experts' latest insights on the war, and to explore our collection of previously published research related to the conflict, visit www.rand.org RussiaUkraine.